0: Welcome to the Wednesday night service, Uh, both those of you who are here in person as well as those of you who are online, at home, in your car, out for a walk, wherever it is that you happen to be, welcome to the service. Um, Last week, we were talking about the calling that we have, and we're focusing on how to equip ourselves as supernatural uh, Christians, and we talked about the calling we talked about the certainty that you have a call, an anointing. We talked about the danger of comparing our callings. And we talked about the durability of our callings. That is, the verse that says that our callings are without repentance, or another translation says irrevocable. God has called you and the mistakes in your life, the situations you have endured, uh, or even brought on yourself. Do not Permanently disqualify you from the calls that God put on your life. He continues to have that anointing there, waiting for you to step up. God is the God of second chances. And we're going to continue talking about our calling today. I want to go to Gideon. Give you some history. Gideon is uh, an Israelite. Gideon is afraid of the Midianites. The Midianites are the bad guys in the story at the time. They're the ones who have occupied Israel. And Gideon is trying to thresh wheat. Now, if you've ever seen this process done or anything, I've, I've had the privilege of going to some places where um, people were threshing their own wheat and watched as people did this. Well, wheat has the, the dry husk part, kind of like a popcorn kernel, the kind that gets stuck in your teeth. It's got that part, and then it has the meaty part that actually is what they make the flour out of. Well, you want to separate those two because if you make the flour with that husk, it comes in a little bit rougher. So what they do is they kind of crush it up, and then they toss it up into the air, and the wind will carry away the, the, the husk, and then the, the more dense grains fall down. And they just keep doing that. So, if you can imagine that, you need an open space with wind flowing through. The Bible says Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's in a giant tub, he's hiding. That's kind of like air drying your clothes in the apartment. Like you can do it, but it just doesn't work as well. But he was so afraid, that's what he's doing. Judges chapter 6, here's what happens. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love how it's phrased here in the NIV. Uh, Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but um, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? So he starts by asking a question. Next, he makes a declaration. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? His response is, you've abandoned me. And God says, "Uh, I'm, I'm here, like right now, sending you. How is it that you still consider yourself abandoned by me if I'm here sending you now? Uh, p- pardon me, Lord, again, he says, getting replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon is is much like many of us Christians. We're kind of going along, we're doing our thing, uh, trying to keep our heads down, get out of the way. And then God comes along. And it's interesting that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, speaks his calling. He declares him not as he is, but as he will be. He says, Mighty warrior, to the guy hiding out in the wine press. God declares the calling, the purpose, the anointing, and even the attributes of a warrior over him even when he wasn't displaying it. And notice that Gideon literally argues with God's call. And he says, but how can I be a mighty warrior if I am from the least important clan? So, in Bible times, there were 12 tribes. Each tribe had clans. Each clans had families. Each family had individuals. And he says, you don't understand. I am from, my dad always says, the Barney Fife clan. That's becoming a dated reference because I have been watching that show with my kids. My kids now know who Barney Fife is. But many of you don't. I was going to say Steve Urkel, but he's also very dated. And I'm trying to think. I don't watch enough current television to know who the biggest idiot is on TV. But basically, he says, I am from the the worst, the least, the most... insignificant clan I'm from the most insignificant family in the most insignificant clan and of that whole family I'm the black sheep he's like I am nothing here it is he has been he has had his calling placed in front of him and he is arguing to ask God to see him the way he sees himself We have the story of the Israelites. In Exodus 6-6, God says to Moses, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. Awesome. So Moses, he goes to Egypt. Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go. We know the story God does miracles through Pharaoh. There's the ten plagues. And there's all kinds of supernatural, amazing things that happen and culminate in the releasing of the Israelites. They get to leave. Why? Because God did all. But he blocked the sun. He turned the Nile into to blood. He sent frogs. He sent nets. He did all of these crazy things. And it was so supernatural. And finally... Pharaoh says, go, and they leave, and then Pharaoh says, oh, I want you back, and he goes out there, and we have the whole crossing of the Red Sea. What an amazing miracle to be a part of, and I remember hearing somebody argue, well, the Red Sea may not have been that deep, and so really God didn't have to part the Red Sea, they just came through, and then someone pointed out, he says, well, then if it wasn't a miracle to get through, it was a miracle that he drowned the entire army in the ankle-deep water, In reality, though, we can look at the geography of the area, and it was deep. Nonetheless, God did miracle after miracle after miracle. They cross the Sinai. They get to the promised land, the land that God had promised they would have. What do they do? They send out the 12 spies. The 12 spies cover the land. They spend 40 days going back and forth around, checking out the land. They come back carrying one bunch of grapes on a pole between two men. That image is on the coins in Israel today. And they come back and they say, this land is amazing. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Most of us, Anak isn't a household name, but that is a giant So when they say we saw descendants of Anak, that means we saw other giants in the land. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. We like Caleb. He and Joshua both agree with what God had said, what he called them to do. He said, this is what will happen. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw in there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Come from the Nephilim, the Bible. We seemed, now this is, the, this is the verse I want you to listen to how this is said. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own, own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we seemed or looked the same to them. I, I don't, I'm always impressed when someone is very self-aware. These people seemed self-aware to a degree that I don't think most of us are. They realized the order of it. I felt small, so I'm sure I seem small to them. Most of us just assume what other people are believing and then think it was a certainty. But those spies actually had the wherewithal to recognize, you know what, we felt small, and so we assume we seem small to them. What's interesting is they just came from Egypt. All of that a miraculous stuff had just happened. They had just crossed the Red Sea. That had just happened. But a million people don't move fast. So they had moved at a pace, news spread. We know the rest of the story. What happens? Israel decides to believe not what God declared over them, not the calling that he had given him. They decided to believe the report of the 10 spies versus the two. What happened? The two had to wait until the rest of them died. Everyone above the age of 20 died before they got in. 40 years. They sent spies in again. Those spies went into Jericho and asked what was going on. Forty years later, the report they got from Rahab is everybody's still afraid of you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got the report that there was a group of people coming in to invade my territory that a week ago had destroyed the strongest army on the face of the planet, had walked through a lake on dry ground, and they were hours away from showing up. My fear would be a lot higher than if I said those same people have been chilling out there for 40 years. The truth is They saw themselves as grasshoppers. The people in the promised land were afraid. They were so afraid, they were still afraid 40 years later. But they didn't believe their call. What I want to talk about today is I want to encourage you to put your faith in the calling that God has on you. There is a point when the calling goes from, as we read there, Exodus 6-6, I will free you, to the declaration that Caleb said, we can certainly do it now. A lot of us, we believe, We can hypothetically trust that someday, some way, God's going to use me, but probably not today. Like Gideon, we say, well, I'm… you don't understand who I am. I mean, did you see my my GPA in high school? You know, I didn't even finish college. Or, you know, I finished, but… you know, you don't know how… You realize, I mean, we just, we see ourselves like Gideon saw himself, and think about this for a second. The Israelites who died in the desert were the Israelites that were called and empowered to enter into the the promised land. They didn't, not because God hadn't called them, but because they chose to believe their own view over that calling. Their acknowledgement, they acknowledged that it was their own perspective of themselves, and that became what they believed others had. I think there's a good example of this, and that's public speaking. It is said by those who do these studies, that public speaking is more feared than death. It went On the list of things that people fear, public speaking is higher than death. And as a public speaker, people will ask me sometimes, do you ever get nervous? And are you really nervous? And I said, you know what? And when I'm talking to someone who's, who's about to do it for the first time or, or one of the first times and I'm trying to encourage them, I try to point out this truth. I could come up here with a stain on my shirt. You'd still forgive me. I mess up just about every single week. I say something, mispronounce something at some point. You guys forgive me. It doesn't bother you when I make a tiny mistake. For the most part. It doesn't. You know why? Because you can tell it doesn't bother me. The one thing that makes people uncomfortable when they listen to a speaker is knowing that the speaker is uncomfortable. It's true. If the speaker is up there going... <laughs> <laughs> if they're up there just freaking out, you, like, take on some of their discomfort. It's like, he's uncomfortable. He's awkward. I feel awkward listening to him be so awkward. I mean, like, oh my goodness. You know, he walked out and and tripped. And if I tripped and I was like, (gasps) and ran off the stage, you'd be uncomfortable. But you know what? If I tripped and just got up and was like, oops, sorry about that. You know what? You wouldn't be uncomfortable. Because... How I feel about myself transfers to the audience. If I'm comfortable about what I have to say, you're comfortable. Now, if I think it's interesting, that helps you feel that it's interesting, but that's still, still got to be interesting. That's something I have learned. But how I feel about myself transfers to you. How we feel about the calling that God has on our life will transfer to others. If you are uncomfortable, unconfident about what God has spoken to you, it takes an amazing person To be more confident about your call than you are. But when you step up, what was God's response to Gideon? He said, hey, I am with you. That was the cure. To acknowledge and recognize He is with you. I want to look at a story from the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Just sound a little familiar to the way that the angel of the Lord greeted Gideon. The angel greeted Gideon according to his calling. This angel greeted Mary according to her calling. Look what it says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. You see, the description that the angel gave Mary of herself was not consistent with the understanding that Mary had of who she was. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus and he will be great and be called the son of the Most High was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now look at verse 38. She was in shock. She didn't know what to think. His description of who she was troubled her at first. She asked questions. But notice, unlike Gideon, she didn't make any negative declarations. She just said how does this work considering, you know, I haven't done any of that yet? He answered, and then she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary had the right approach. She said, okay, God, may your word be fulfilled in my life. When there is a contradiction between how we see ourselves and what God has declared, how we respond impacts what will happen in our lives. We can respond like Mary and say, let it be We can respond like Gideon, he got around to the right answer, he took a while to get there. Or we can respond like the Israelites, who ended up dying in the desert and their children fulfilled the call. Why? Because the calling is without repentance. Do you realize how many times the Israelites messed up? Like, every time? And God kept going. That is meant to be an encouragement to us. Romans chapter 3 verse 3 says, What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Here's the, the, the question here is, wait a minute. If someone is called and they don't fulfill that calling, does that mean I'm not called? He says, no. Let it be the other way around. Let God be true. Let the words of God be true. And anyone who speaks contrary to that, acknowledge that that is the lie. That is the lie. If we desire... Here's the thing. I don't know what your calling is. Some of you do know. And some of you are working at figuring it out. But God wants to show you. Lean into Him. You will learn the purpose you were born for. And He wants to fulfill it in you. And it doesn't matter if you are the least clan in the least family and the most insignificant member. Doesn't matter. Has nothing to do with it. God wants to make you into what He created you to be. You are the only person who can stop the fulfillment of God's call on your life. You. If you choose not to believe, if you choose to trust your own assessment of your weakness as more significant than his, accept, his assessment of his power and how it would work through you, you stay on the sidelines. Romans chapter four verse 17 says, is as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. How much power does he have? Like all of it. He can call the dead to life. He created everything that is from that which wasn't. Then at verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham hoped and believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offering spring be. Without weakening his face, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. What are they talking about? God promised that he'd be the father of many nations when he was like 90. And his wife, also 90. 90. And he thought for a little bit, well maybe you're going to make me the na- father of nations through someone other than my wife. And God was like, wrong answer. It's the two of you. And he said, since he was 100 years about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. She'd already been through menopause, no more expectation of children. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his face, faith excuse me, and gave glory to God. Here it is, verse 21. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Here's the deal. Abraham's faith was not in his virility. It was not in his wife's fertility. His faith was in God's power to fulfill what He promised. That calling, that anointing, that purpose that God has put inside of you, it does not depend on your greatness. We don't have to compare and say, you know what, what was my GPA back in high school? What was my GPA in in college? How do I let that out? If I was to choose someone on the face of the planet to make do this thing, would it be me? No, probably not. That's not the point. It says here, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what He had promised. Your calling is a Word of God to you. And that Word, He has the power to fulfill it. I want to encourage you when it comes to your calling, when it comes to the purpose that you have in your life, I want to encourage you. We talked about before, don't Get caught in the trap of comparing yourself. Don't believe the lie that you are disqualified. And don't trust a different report. Jesus said when he was traveling around, he said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. What was he pointing out? Sometimes it is the hardest to see the anointing and the calling and the purpose on people that you know well. Why is that? Because you're so tempted to view them based on what you know of their past. My wife comes from a small town, and it's interesting In these small towns, everybody knows everybody and their family. And it's like, oh, that's a Smith. Well, all the Smiths are successful business people. Oh, that's a Jones. None of the Jones are successful business people. And I'm making these names up. (laughs) Yeah, she's... (laughs) I don't know if I got a name right or wrong. I apologize if you're watching up there. <laughs> Point is, the more we know about someone, the more we tend to rely on their past, that situation, and not put our trust in God. When I was when I was in high school, I used to spend every summer overseas from the age of 11 until I was 23, I think. And then I moved to Mexico, and so I was living overseas. But I would go on mission trips. And sometimes I went by myself. Other times I went with, like, missions organizations and groups of different teenagers. And and it was very interesting because the first trip that I went on with a bunch of teenagers was a trip consisting of entirely of teenagers who were from random places, meaning there were, like, 30 of us traveled working as a team, but at max, two of us were from the same hometown. Everybody was from someplace new. Nobody knew each other. There was no history. And it was really exciting to see how these kids would blossom. They'd pray for the sick, see healings. I remember one of those times we prayed for a blind man, blind from birth. His eyes opened. He saw for the first time, it was a bunch of 14-year-old kids praying. It was, it was exciting. Then, a couple years later, I went on a trip with a missions organization that mixed it up. They brought 60 teenagers. One was a group of 30 from one home church, and the other was a group of 30 from all over the nation. And interestingly enough, the two teams didn't behave. I mean, even though they were just groups of teenagers the same, this group was with a bunch of people who knew them. And so they were far more bashful about stepping out, about just being brave, willing to pray instead of instead of just doing what they knew God was they were like well I don't I don't know if I should do that because I mean everybody here knows you know the dumb thing that I did like two months before we came here and, and I don't know if they're gonna I mean if they, if they say me trying to pray they're probably going to be like well how can that person pray he was doing you know he got caught smoking a joint behind the church two weeks before the trip mission trip you know and so what do they do Nothing And I I remember having this conversation with the, the, the organization that did this. And I said, on one hand, it's exciting because when they get back, whatever they accomplished together, they can continue to encourage each other to do. But in the same token that they can encourage each other in what they've already done, they also discouraged each other in what they'd already done. I just want to use that illustration simply to help open our eyes, to realize. Sometimes the people who know us best don't know us best because God is changing us. And it takes people time to trust and believe that change has happened. And you know who is the slowest to believe change is possible sometimes? You! Sometimes it's you. You're the one sitting there going, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Doing the Gideon thing. I don't think I can do that. I'm just the, the leastest of the leastest of the most insignificant. And God says, So what? I am with you. That, say that with me, God is with me. If you're at home, join us. Say it out loud wherever you are. Say it with us. God is with me. And God has called you. He has implanted in you a purpose, a calling, an anointing. A gift, a mix of gifts and strengths that no one else has. It's different than mine. There are things you can do that I can't do like you can do. This is by design. I just want to encourage you. Whose report are you going to believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Anybody else having that song go through your head? All right. I can't remember the whole thing, otherwise I'd just break out. As we finish, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 11. Do you have that up? I think it was on my list, and then I took it off, and I don't know if it ended up in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, if they can get that up for us. We are God's children. He loves us. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And here's what that verse says. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Continue. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Here's the list. I didn't give that list to try to down any person who it applies to. If you stole if you committed adultery, if you did any of the dumb things that were in that list before, or anything else that was dumb that's not on the list. It says, that's who you were. Not who you are. That's who you were. Put that last verse up. It says, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does it mean to be justified? It's made just as if I'd never done it. I am clear, I am clean, I am no longer responsible before God for that. Why? Because He took the responsibility for that. Paul said it this way. It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you know that who you were is not who you are and you have been forgiven, you're justified. Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. If you don't know that, I want to invite you to know it. In fact, I invite you to be it. Be justified. How? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? From the sin that separated you. From that list and anything else that wasn't on that list that maybe was your identity, but it doesn't need to be anymore because Jesus wants to justify you. He takes the punishment. You get the forgiveness. If that's you, the Bible says that we confess and believe. So we'll do that together. Every eye closed. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. But if you're here today and you want to pray that prayer so that you can be forgiven and know it, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. If you're out there, online, radio, wherever it is, and you want to ask forgiveness, just repeat this prayer with me. Say, dear God, I believe you sent your son who lived a perfect life. and He died in my place. I accept the forgiveness of sin that you offer me. And I make you the Lord of my life.